Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Ollie Mann. On today's show, Facebook pulls its quiz show format, Aldi pulls magazines from its stores, and WH Smith will no longer give you a free telegraph when you buy a bottle of water. Plus, can June Sarpong help the BBC's diversity problem? And in the media quiz, in the week a new deal is done, Sky News goes Brexit free. It's all to come in today's Media Podcast. And joining me today, founder of podcast company Broccoli, it's Renee Richardson back on the show. Hello, Renee. Hello. Uh, you just told me an amazing thing about yourself. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which is, uh, we, we said we're going to be recording this basically as live today. And you said... I don't swear. Don't worry, I don't swear. And then explained that since the age of eight, you no, haven't six. sworn. Six? <laughs> yeah. Um, so when I was six, uh, my mum sent me to my room and I was angry and I said, um, I called her basically a C-U-N-T. Mm. Because I heard it from my neighbours when they argued, that's what they said. So I thought that's what you say when you're angry. <laughs> and she made it very clear that wasn't appropriate. Yeah, basically, I've not really sworn since. I don't swear, yeah. That's, I wish. <laughs> I was going to say I wish I could say the same, but actually I do really enjoy swearing. Um, <laughs> uh, and also with me, the deputy editor of Metro.co.uk, Alex Hudson is here as well. Good afternoon. Hello, and I noticed that you have an iPhone 11 Pro. I did. I picked it up this very morning. How are you finding it? I'm asking for personal benefit as much as for the listeners it's here. It's an expensive handset. It's exactly the same as the old iPhone, just it's the same price as the old iPhone, so I thought I might as well while I'm doing it. It's. I mean, I guess the point of calling it a pro, I mean, it's a serious thing to raise on the media podcast, is they're aiming it at people like us, basically, aren't they? People who work in... People for whom social media is work. You know, you can take an amazing photo and you can, you know... For photography, it is worthwhile doing. If you're looking at journalism, uh, the Pixel 4 with its transcription software is a significant improvement and actually helps you if you're doing interviews to transcribe quicker than is possible elsewhere. There we go. But I think it's for, like, Instagram models. Not... What are you saying? (laughs) We're both very attractive men. Have you not seen my, my selfies are on point at the moment? All the more reason that we need a better quality camera. <laughs> um, and Renee, you're hiring at Broccoli. Yes, I'm hiring. Yeah, um, two exec producers and an office assistant. And it will be, it's not, you're just not going to be stuck doing admin. It's a role that you can be anything you want. My, You're an agile yeah. media company. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm a startup and I truly believe you should work in startup styles. So. so one day you'll be doing the accounts, one day you'll be interviewing the prime minister, exactly. that kind of thing. Yeah. Excellent. Sky's the limit. Where do people go to apply for um, that? Broccolicontent.com. And uh, Alex, you, uh, you know, by day are a journalistic wunderkind, as we've explained. 
but by night you turn into someone completely different. <laughs> uh, I am doing my debut headline show, our debut headline show next Tuesday. If you're in London, absolutely come. Shameless, shameless promos at Set in Dalston from 7.30pm. Uh, a little bit like Nils Fram, a little bit like Hans Zimmer. Uh, but so, the, so this is music? It is music. It's not you on stage talking about media news headlines. It is me playing the piano. There is a cellist and I'm singing. And I have two disco balls, giant disco balls, in my bedroom because I had to buy disco balls for this extravaganza and it's completely ridiculous and it will hopefully go well or I'll forget the words or everyone will boo or just not listen or play with their phone. And your artist nom de plume is? Uh, no Alexander. No Alexander. And he has two giant disco balls, if that's I'll not enough there. to get you there. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Uh, right, plugs out the way. Let's start by talking about um, the BBC's first head of creative diversity. Uh, it is none other than a veteran TV presenter and former media podcast panellist. I'm sure that was what got her the gig in the end. Uh, June Sarpong. Uh, Renee, tell us what Jun Sapong's brief is at the BBC, as you understand it. I think it's an impossible job. Um, I was reading the um, press release and it's to kind of change the whole systemic system, like the whole, yeah, everything at the BBC and help diversity hires, um, help the diversity on screen, um, on mic, I guess, mm-hmm. um, behind the scenes, um, at every single level. And all on three days a week. Yeah, I'm like, wow. Is it... <laughs> A PR move. It seems awful saying that because actually Jun Sarpong does have a great track record in yeah. raising issues of diversity. Um, you know, she's done a lot of uh, charity work on that subject. She is herself, you know, obviously a notable black face on TV and all the rest of it. But, you know, is she going to be across every hire at the BBC? As you say, it's just... Yeah, it's, it's literally an impossible job. I I mean, not that they were offering it to me. I wouldn't take it because it's, li- it's like going on the Titanic and knowing it's going to sink. Like, it's, <laughs> she's going to fail. Why would you do it? But I, it seems like they want to, but the BBC... Well, I think it, Kate was clear last time I was here how I feel about the BBC. Um, Remind us in a nutshell. <laughs> I just think it's a place that um, needs to go. Um, because you That's can't... right, listeners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she went there. Five minutes into the show. It's a place that needs to go. <laughs> because I think you can't fix um, problems by hiring at the top. It's every single level. And if you just keep adding managers, which is what they seem to do, mm. you're not fixing the structural problems. But I suppose intentionality does come into this, doesn't it? And as you say, they clearly are trying to do something. As yeah. when you say, the institution has to go. I mean, you know, it seems to me from the outside that their lack of inclusivity across various different um, cultural backgrounds clearly isn't intentional and it's not the thing to judge them by. Surely you judge them by the output and this is something that needs fixing. I judge them by the... But the output is super, super biased and skewed because it's only white people making it and making the decisions. And is June Sarpon going to be having a meeting with every single commissioner there, every single producer there? Every I doubt it. I suppose the point, Alex, is that they're considering... Not June Sarpong and her, her, you know, gavel of truth, but they're considering the fact that they're going to have to report to somebody when they are making The those first videos. point of this, like, the BBC is bad at this. Like, and not for a second is anyone going to argue. But the thing that the BBC has in its favour is it's better than most other broadcasters. So the fact that it's trying, albeit whether it be a PR thing or whether it be some... There is an intention, whether or not it's a, an intention that actually means anything or if it's just for optics or whatever, is matters because the BBC is is looking to try and it's a small step and there are so many more steps to get anywhere close to proper representation of the audience it's meant to hit but it's something 
Not oh. enough by a significant distance, but it's something. I have a question. What broadcasters are the BBC better than uh, at Diversity? At Diversity, the BBC has the most even gender pay scale than anyone else. What gender is this? Is this white women and white men? Yeah, this is across both BME and white people. Like there is, a, there is a big discrepancy. My God, it's horrible. I agree with you that yeah. it's horrible. Yes. It's just... But and what not... percent better? Is it? Are we looking at... There's a it's bunch right, of... Sorry, let her do one more of these. It's, <laughs> it's a bit unfair, but it's no, a good question. Like, I've, I've done the numbers. It's horrible. <laughs> but I'm just like, is it like, are we like, are there bags of trash? And are we going this bag of trash is slightly better? Yeah. So then I just but, think we shouldn't applaud, like think that's better. I just think it's not it's, good it's enough. It's not better, it's less worse. On the specific <laughs> and, point of... And, no, there's a, there's a big yeah. difference. So it's... it's the, the, the problem with the BBC is that no one ever leaves the BBC, so you yeah. still have recruits from the 70s and 80s who will leave when they hit 65 or 70, or and because of the hiring policies 20, 30 years ago, that's still in place, and because there's such a slow turnover of the BBC, it takes time, and your point around ripping it up and starting again with the BBC is, is, is one side of the viewpoint. I think the BBC needs to be better at motivating staff to move on and to change, to work harder at it. Um, and it's not that one bag of trash is less bad than the other bag of trash. It's that we're in the situation now that we're in, and it's no one is arguing that that's a good or representative situation. So how the hell do we make it better? And that's an impossible question. On June Sarpong specifically, they've let her continue on the other days of the week that she's not doing her new job as a panellist on the Pledge for Sky News and Loose Women for ITV. That obviously gives her profile... But is it wise? I mean, you can see a slow-motion car crash coming on that one, can't you? She's employed in those situations by rival broadcasters to give an opinion. I, I just, I really think she... I think that's a good thing, though, because she can maybe see what the others are doing well or talk about the issues. If she's allowed, I don't know if she's allowed an opinion, though, because she's... Yeah, but you, like wouldn't, a, you wouldn't expect to see Lord Hall, you know, on well, obviously he wouldn't be on Loose Women, would he? But, you know, <laughs> loose Men. Yeah, yeah on Loose Men. <laughs> I mean, it's just, if, as we saw with the Nagamanchetti story, obviously related mm. to this, mm. you know, there is still an issue with people at the BBC in a senior level, whether on screen or not, giving an opinion. And then they're, I, they're doing it right now, letting her do that. But I think they should, because I do think the whole we're impartial, we don't have an opinion, that's fake news. And I'm, that's a Trump term, I know, but I'm using it. People aren't impartial. People aren't unbiased. Algorithms can't be impartial. Um, they can't be unbiased. So this whole thing that we're impartial is a lie. And that whole Naga um, thing showed it. And the BBC get themselves into trouble every... I mean, there's a some kind of issue every other week because of this fake we're impartial, because they're not. Well, one of the interesting things that came out this week was in uh, Gal Dem magazine online. Uh, Misha Fraser-Carroll wrote a piece there arguing that taking part in BBC debates when you're a woman of colour is counterproductive. Just pricey that a little for us. Um, her point was that when she appears on programmes, she is just... This, this idea of impartiality So the same as you'll get someone who thinks the earth is round and someone who thinks the earth is flat. You get someone who thinks that racism is bad and someone who somehow is an, is an apologist for racism or for someone who is pro-abortion, someone who uses religious arguments or very traditional arguments to be against abortion. And the fact that they she goes on these programmes and she has to deal with the things that just she doesn't think are an idea of impartiality. It's just fact and fiction. Um, I think the BBC is, again, in an, in an impossible situation here. And I think the flat earth one is, is unhelpful because the earth is not flat. Uh, but when it comes to abortion, regardless of my own personal opinions, there is a debate to be had there. For the record, I'm hugely pro-abortion, hugely pro-choice. But 
the BBC has to represent those views of the people who the metropolitan people do not agree with at all. And it is a live debate that is happening. And the weird thing to take her argument to its logical conclusion would be, I, mean, I understand how she feels that way, mm. but to take, if you took it to the conclusion, it would be, well, when you have a news story where there's a debate about women of colour, it would be not to invite a woman of colour on. That would be much worse, surely. It, right. So you used abortion where it is the, you know, choi- pe- like the argument is, should people have a choice? Should people not have a choice? Right. When, but some of these debates are about. Well, let's, let's give a specific so we know. Yeah, kind of. like there are um, specific specifics where trans people have to go and um, debate their identity. There are um, examples where, like, black women have to go on and say this is racist. No, it's not racist. Yes, it is. Ra- it's like it's. <laughs> why? Why am I arguing this? It is. If I say it is, it is. Mm. And so there, people roll in like abortion or NHS things or money or council. T- that's they're different things because they are choices. I cannot choose to be black. If you are trans, you are trans. But often it's it will like be a case of essentially explaining to an older white audience why, for example, someone's lost their job for doing something racist. Let's take that as an instance. Yeah. And if that person isn't there explaining why they think it's racist, whether or not it impartially is or isn't, but that then, point of view isn't being. But if they just had it's racist because X, Y, and Z. Sure. Why are we debating whether it's racist? <laughs> <laughs> that's the, that's what she's. The point is, it's like, it's not a debate, it's fact. She also sort of raised the issue of one of the things that's unfair is that you're kind of called at five in the morning and expected to give an opinion. But again, that's that's being a pundit, isn't it? Regardless of your colour, that's what happens. You get a call five minutes before you go on air and, you, you know, I've had, you know, the Jeremy Vine show will call me up and say, we need someone to come on and say... You know, winter's not as good as it used to be. Can you be on 10 minutes' time? I mean, it's your choice whether you want to take part in a relatively facile debate like that. You know what trains, the deal is. We've all been on trains to Salford and we get the phone call saying we've just been cancelled, so you have to get off the train at Salford <laughs> and back on again to go back to London. Thank you for your time. Much appreciated. You've just been dropped. Um, and it's who says yes to these things? And I think that's the, that's a really interesting point that she, bring, she brings up because she knows that she's going to get a lot more abuse or, or like the, the audience are not kind to anybody and that, that is multiplied by Christ knows how many multiples if you're female. But then if you're a non-white female, it just even rockets again. And so the, um, when you're looking to book guests... Uh, women are less likely to say yes when you when you approach them because they they know the sorts of abuse they're going to get and same as BAME people like they know the abuse that they're going to get so they're less likely to say yes and so as much from my privileged position I can say of course it's part of getting the message across and building out diversity I entirely understand that I have the advantage of only getting a bit of abuse when I'm on on any sort of media work I'm doing relatively speaking it's like a tiny, tiny percentage. So I, I would say no in those positions. I suppose it, the, the whole pundit thing, Renee, comes mm-hmm. down to the fact that you're being invited on, anyone's being invited on to take a position that actually, you know, perhaps they've tweeted about it once, but they haven't given a lot of thought to. Mm. And so when you're put in that position, you know, on Good Morning Britain, for example, where Piers Morgan will, devil's advocate, attack everyone who's on there, and that's the entertainment of watching it, I sometimes watch it and I think, in a way, what he's doing is fair enough if this is that person's life work. You know, they really mean it and they're there to be challenged. They should be challenged. I mean, But if you've just been invited on to make the case and you don't believe it, it's nonsense. Yeah. It's a weird little circuit that, you know, all our media is plugged into. Yeah, I just, I mean, I don't see why people say yes. <laughs> I, mean, I don't get asked, so that's good. But if I did, I wouldn't go. Because why am I going on to, I mean, why do I want to argue with Piers Morgan? Yeah. Like <laughs> to, to change that conversation. So that that's the thing. So... I would say yes to those things because I'm anything I would say yes for, I'm really sure on my arguments. And I would 
you know, really strongly views, really loosely held. But then you've got Piers Morgan interviewing a man dressed as a broccoli the other day. Did you watch that? It was, if you haven't watched it, those clips are Piers getting increasingly frustrated <laughs> with a man who is dressed in a full broccoli suit. It's, it's an event. Okay. Well, for, for the record, I say yes, but uh, there must be makeup and at least fifty pounds. Newsprint now, <laughs> and let's talk about W. H. Smith, who have stopped giving away copies of the Daily Telegraph when you buy a bottle of water, or was it a free bottle of water when you buy the Telegraph? I was never really sure the order. They actually t- changed the order halfway through, so it didn't make sense. Yeah, because okay. I did notice. Because <laughs> I was like, "What?" <laughs> In any case, sometimes you'd get yourself at Buxton, and they'd give you a copy of the Telegraph. Um, they've stopped doing that because the paper's pre-tax profits have fallen 94% on last year. Uh, Rene, why has there been such a massive drop in profit at The Telegraph? So the chief exec, Nick Hyde, blamed Brexit for advertisers' um, reluctance to spend, basically. Which is odd when you think that they pay Boris Johnson 275 grand a year for writing a column. (laughs) Not anymore. The The Guardian termed it as like a leave of absence from The Telegraph while he's busy doing his other job. Yes, I enjoyed that term as well. Um, I mean, look, all um, newspapers are in decline, which is something we've been discussing on this show since this show was part of The Guardian discussing its own decline. Um, So this isn't new. And actually, The Telegraph has found a way to make a profit. The fact that the the profits are declining hugely, at least they have a solution, which is online registrations, right? Yes. And for as long as I've been doing the media podcast, which is five, six years. Wow, that makes me feel old. Um... I think I said in my first one, and you challenged me, and I was, like, the physical newspaper will be dead in 10 years. And everyone is finally realising that that's, that's obviously the case, and editions are a whole separate argument. But the idea of someone going into a shop and buying a newspaper, except on a Saturday, weirdly, which is showing the least decline of any day. I thought it would be Sunday, but the research shows it's Saturday. Saturday papers are better. better. Only day I buy a paper Saturday. Saturday papers are the best. But the market says Saturday, uh-huh. so... Um, you open your iPad. And I, th- I think the I- we need to get to a position where additions are the most important thing so people feel like they can finish the news. That's really important. So how we transfer that to digital is the biggest challenge. Apple's trying it. Readly are trying it. There's a whole host of different providers trying to do additions of things. But the idea that you are relying on a declining print revenue, it, unless you really hit like one, uh, Metro now reaches 1.71 million people a day, that's the sort of volume you need. And you do that without registration, don't you? Oh, no, no. Oh, Metro Online, we now hit 3 million people a day. Uh, we've just grown 80-something percent over the last year. No, that wasn't my question. <laughs> uh, uh, we, no, we do it without registration. The, so why? Because you're using cookies, I guess, right? Uh, we use cookies and we have a robust advertising model. And but the Telegraph's argument is if we get people to register, then we know who they are. We know a lot more about them, actually, than someone who buys the paper from the shop. All we know about the person who buys the paper is they're a Tory, whereas when they register online, we, we can deduce exactly where they live, where they work, etc. And I think any digital publisher has to know as much about their audience as they can, but with consent. So we have a notification when someone comes on the site for the first time, we want to send you notifications. You can allow or you can say, not, not for me. And then we can start working out what sort of content you enjoy, what sort of content you don't enjoy. And then we can push those sorts of stories to you uh, on Chrome or on your phone to make sure that we are only giving you the stories that you might be interested in. I mean, one thing, Renee, that you can say in the Telegraph's favour is I think it's a clearer proposition, actually, now than it was 10 years ago online. Uh, You know, it might not be, I'm guessing it's not for you, (laughs) but you know who it is for, don't you? I do. um, I, on my Apple News, I do get um, some Telegraph stuff, but I, it might be a stupid question, but because of, you know, climate change and stuff, We've heard of it. 
<laughs> everyone moans about climate change. I mean, as in we should be doing more. And isn't it better that there's less print? Yes, yeah, so better for the environment that people aren't yeah. buying dead tree media. So I don't know why um, it's a sad, like people are sad when um, magazines and press go out of print mm. and why they're not updating. Like if the Metro have a good model, like why aren't more people doing that? Because it saves audi- the environment. audiences like the idea of an appointment. So I can go and I pick up my newspaper and the front page is the biggest story and I can flick through it and I see which stories I want to read and don't want to read. That model is getting there online and whoever really, really perfects it first is the winner of the industry. But un- until that point, people come in from search or come in from social or come in from elsewhere, read one or two stories, then leave. And what about The Sun starting a digital edition in the States? I'd be curious to know your views on that. They seem to have clearly trying to echo what Mail Online have done. I mean, we have an office in the US. So Metro, as much as everyone thinks of us as a British brand, we have journalists in the US pushing US content. Uh, Just under 20% of our audience are in America. That that has already happened. But the son of poached the guy from Mail Online. Like Their intentions are clear, aren't they? No, that was was a while ago. So he he was set up to almost take on the Mail Online. Uh, He was taken from the Mail Online to set up the British operation. Mm -hmm. And now the British operation is seen as such a success. So he's he's seen to have stabilised that. Now they're looking overseas. I mean, does it wonder for an American audience what the sun means? So I've noticed in, like, the trash and blogs that a lot of, like, the sun celebrity stories are getting picked up by the American, like, mm-hmm. um, you know, Insta, you know, like the Shade Room and things like that. Um, so it kind of makes sense. The sidebar of shame of the Daily Mail, I mean, people don't want to admit it, but we will go there. And the sun just want to capitalise on that and be our secret hidden gossip fest. And meanwhile, if you want to buy yourself a newspaper or a magazine at Aldi, you can't. Aldi has just taken the move to stop selling physical newspapers and magazines in their stores. Because, Why? Because they were getting them sent to them and then they were sending near enough all of them back to the suppliers. So they're like, this is just a lot of admin. Let's not bother with that. They're, they don't see it as a big customer interference. I did I see it reported that way round, but I also saw Neiman Lab suggesting that it might be actually just a commercial dispute with one of the distributors that's causing this and this could just be a temporary blip either way is it such a i mean obviously of course if you, if you work for a newsprint title you're listening to this you want your magazine your newspaper to be in as many places as possible but in a way you know could it be the savior of the news agent this like do you, do you need aldi to be selling newspaper if you want your newspaper go to your news agent the the biggest bookseller in the country is tesco the biggest art seller in the country is ikea the the biggest suppliers of the news will still be the supermarkets in a physical print form so it it is an issue but then it's how like the telegraph is doing it's how you get people to a digital proposition or you get people to subscribe or you get that beautiful combo of people being both digital subscribers and uh, and physical print users i wonder as well whether supermarkets want people to pick up their own free sheets because they've all got one now haven't they like every supermarket has a cookery mag honestly i just think save the trees Well, your biggest supplier of media news continues to be this show. We'll be back with more after this. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. 
Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. This episode of the Media Podcast was recorded at Spiritland Studios in London's King's Cross. Spiritland Studios are run by Spiritland Productions, providers of professional audio solutions to TV, radio and online, as well as their superb broadcast standard studio facilities, which you can hear right now. Spiritland Productions also has a world-class OB vehicle for audio and video projects of any scale. So whether it's podcasting, outside broadcasting or live concert recording, produce your next show with Spiritland Productions. Just visit Spiritland Productions com now okay time for some more media news Alex and Renee are still with me and online video first Facebook has pulled the plug on their quiz show confetti uh, which I'd never seen have you ever seen it Renee I had never seen it Alex I had seen it but it's part of my job to know what the hell the internet is doing well there you are tell us what it was doing um, for anyone who's played HQ quiz, uh, I've heard of that. It's exactly that. For those who haven't seen HQ Quiz, it's a sort of live quiz format where there are prizes and you have to answer a number of questions in real time against the audiences and the people who still get all of the questions right by the end win a little bit of the prize. Um, and it's devised on, oh, HQ Quiz was getting 115,000, 120,000, up to 200,000 people playing it live the Facebook Watch version was not getting those numbers and it's Facebook trying to get whatever they want Watch to be for it to become. So Facebook Watch is the YouTube of Facebook. Right. Well, I mean, you raise an interesting question within your answer there, which is what do Facebook want Facebook Watch to be? I didn't even know that I had it until I realised we were talking about it today, so I logged onto my own Facebook and saw, oh, yes, it is there in the sidebar. <laughs> I don't know how long it's been there. I've never clicked on it. Is it working? I um, deleted Facebook five years ago, um, so I was ahead of that. Uh-huh. Hashtag delete Facebook. Um, it seems like Facebook, everyone wants us to all be in their own, at like the one-stop shop, don't they? And it's like, it's just unnecessary. We don't need to be, because everything is in the one-stop shop, and that's the, either our phones or the computer where we are. We don't have to walk across the road to watch something. It's all there, so I, I, 
I get it. They want us to be in there and they can gather more data and things. But you've just said that you look at the Telegraph in your news app. So, I mean, you do have apps that aggregate things together and that's all they're trying to do. Yeah, and I also am looking at the news stories on my browser and looking at individual webs. um, So so I don't need... The the one-stop shop is the phone. Mm. And I'm sure Apple are listening and know what I'm doing. (laughs) So they've got all the data. But Facebook are trying to, I guess, beat that and trying to also gather. I mean, in real life... Have you heard anyone say their favourite show is on Facebook? Uh, no, but it's it's this... Renee has? Red Table Talks. Go on. Um, the Jada Pinkett Smith and um, Will Smith... No, Jada Pinkett Smith. Uh-huh. Um, Willow Smith and her mum. Yeah. Um, that is a... Maybe it's just a black Twitter thing, um, but that sets the timeline alight. And it that is a good show. And that talk gets talked about a lot. So that's, that's a drama show with, like, classic hour-long no. episodes? No, it's not a drama show. It's, sort of a, it's a sort of chat show Suddenly where they feel are... like such an old man. And... and <laughs> Un, like, incredibly honest about their lives and about their, the way that they bring up children, the way that they, even their sexual relationship is sometimes discussed. Yeah. So it's kind of a reality show? It, no, it's just a discussion. It's, it's, it's a podcast with a, with a, with a camera. Yeah, but, around a red table. Okay. But it's like three generations taking on one topic and they sometimes, so like with the Kardashian thing, they are able to make it the talk, like the one, you have to be here. Because after the Khloe Kardashian and Jordan thing, like Jordan went on and did an interview with um, Jada. Mm. And so, you know, if you're interested in that kind of thing, that that was the destination you had to be at. Well, I suppose they tweak the algorithm based on who you are and how you use Facebook. But in my case, none of the stuff that came up when I clicked watch was stuff that was happening now. It was all just sort of clips from news organisations from the last three days. Well, maybe that's your user experience. And But Facebook is stuck between deciding what it wants to be. Does it want to be YouTube? Does it want to be a Vine-like app? Does it want to be TikTok or does it want to be Netflix? The most logical thing for Facebook to do, in my opinion, is become Netflix. Invest a... Well... Ten billion pounds, which you know, pocket change to Facebook, in serious original programming and take on Netflix because that's where it has its market. If it tries, really, to, uh, I mean, there's a question mark about whether even Apple can do that. If it if it's producing original content as Facebook wants to, then that's where its market is. If because the but audience its market is letting me see my aunt's birthday party, isn't it? That's what it's always been. Um, I, it hasn't always been that. It's becoming that as the average age of Facebook, particularly in uh, the UK and America and similar European countries, is getting older by the year. That That's the case. But what it it needs to pick and go at it hard because at the minute it's trying... It's, Putting its dipping its toe into too many different things as it stands. It's also got to you know combat quite a lot of negative press these days, and I wonder if them ori- they've got Nick Clegg for that. He's fine. <laughs> I wonder if them originating their own content just isn't cool. Actually, it's better for Facebook, isn't it, to look like they're partnering with other people and benefiting other businesses. The market would argue against that. Right? If you look at the way that Netflix was perceived when it was just aggregating all the BBC content, Netflix, oh, that's quite fun. Netflix now is seen as a serious, brilliant, innovative content provider and it's hiring the sort of best people in the industry to go and make incredible things. And look at the way that Netflix's brand is now compared to how it was five years ago. If you look at where Facebook's brand is now, I mean, they have to do something. So it's, it's what then they go and do. And what about this? I've got to be careful how I talk about this, but there's a lawsuit in which I understand they've reached a settlement of $40 million in which Facebook have been accused of uh, inflating to advertisers how long their users have been watching videos. That doesn't seem like a particularly surprising news story, does it? I mean, I know just from videos I've posted myself that they seem to have three times as many views as my photos do, and I can't believe my friends Mm. are all that interested. (laughs) And it's autoplay, other people looking, it's all that kind of thing. I think that's a that, that's a problem across every industry because I think um, if we relate it back to audio, um, pod 
PodTrack, I think is the um, data website, they removed iHeart initially because they were um, like the top provider and it was that iHeart were putting it on the their podcast on every single website they had so it just auto-played so it wasn't that people were choosing to listen to their podcast it was just that it was just on in the background which is so, I, yeah. I mean it's all being done basically to encourage advertisers to do it I mean, you can say to you can say to coca-cola or whoever look 10 million people saw this video when in reality it was fewer than that in the end, that's a short-term strategy, isn't it? Because advertisers are going to look at the campaign and think, well, that didn't work. It's about intelligence and it's about understanding what the data means. So Facebook has a number of different time metrics, three seconds, 10 seconds, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, three minutes. And it's understanding what, you, what each of those means. It's understanding the user journey. If you're do, viewing that in feed, if you're searching it out through different means, there is an infinite amount of data about every bit of, bit of analytic data of every publisher or every aggregator you care to mention it's just making sure that we catch up with it and making sure we know what each number means, not just what each number is. Okay, let's talk podcasting now. And a new fund for podcasters to make science and health-related episodes was announced last week by the people behind the British Podcast Awards. Uh, one of those people, I should declare, is regular media pod pundit Matt Deegan. The other is Matt Hill, one of our executive producers. So obviously, <laughs> I think this is great. Um, but Renee, why don't you tell us about the BPA fund? So it's a fund, it seems to be funded by Welcome, yes. and it's £50,000, and each project can pitch to get a grant of 5000 Which is nice, isn't it? Because in podcast budgets in Britain, 5000 is quite a big deal. It's enough to pay for a run, isn't it, of doing something different, or at least an episode where you try something different. And they could have just awarded one person the 50 grand, but this way lots of independent producers can apply. Yeah, I mean, we need to, in the UK, we need to develop a culture of experimenting and being able to, you know, dabble in the, the you know, the kooky little documentaries that you do and just try stuff. So that is a good way. It's, um, you have to make, they have to be health and science-based. and. But they could be, for example, a comedy panel show. It doesn't have to be yeah. a documentary. Yeah, exactly. It could be anything. So I do think that's a good thing. I think £5,000, it seems a lot when you try and make a podcast and you want to even pay someone, you're like, oh, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I think it's a good step and I think, I think it's a good thing that it's... Um, I was just having a conversation actually yesterday because I made a podcast that was funded by the Arts Council mm -hmm. um, last year and I got £13,500 and made a series with that. And now the Arts Council don't fund podcasts. Is that right? Yeah. Because I had a grant for the arts and that ca that fund ended March 2018 and their new one, which it replaced it, was National Lottery Projects. What, what changed? Why um, did they stop? Literally, you know, like they just have a four-year, each project, that each fund they have just ends. And they did partnership with um, National Lottery and the new one is called National Lottery Projects. Same amount of money. That started March 2018 and is going to go for four years. But they are basically saying they don't fund podcasts. I guess the thing about arts is you sort of know, <laughs> it's a terrible thing to say, and it should, I'm not saying it should be the way, but you sort of know if you're doing an arts-based show, you're probably doing it for the love, not for money. I guess with science, it costs money to do it properly, doesn't it? Yeah, but then you can argue that podcast, the art of podcasting, like being a sound engineer, that's an art. You know, musicians use sound engineers. Sure. Um, storytelling is an art. So to make it engaging, you have to have a, an art. Like this, even this podcast has a format. I think you find this is all art. Not <laughs> but <laughs> like it is, we should, what, who's to say what is art and what's not? Um, well, welcome trust, <laughs> well, apparently. And I, art council, I, yeah. I have, I have the podcast on what is art. So. <laughs> but actually, how hard is it, Alex, to make good science content? Because this fund is, it exists 
specifically to help people with that because they've identified there's it's an issue there? not difficult. Oh, of course it's difficult. It's as difficult as any other subject to create good, interesting science content. The difficult thing is finding an audience. So if you look at the to grab an audience on science content you have to go to the nth degree we'll we'll find we'll find martians in 3 years uh, this thing will definitely cure cancer this other thing will definitely do this wonderful scientific thing uh, richard branson's new space suit is m- magical and blue and has richard branson in it interview him now is this you pitching for the money because i'm listening to this <laughs> Whereas actual actual science, so if you uh, we ran a story earlier this year, it's now just getting picked up about uh, external pregnancies. So they're building external wombs, which will now will become viable in ten years. Mm. That was we spent, I spent countless hours on that in May, making sure that it all stood up to scrutiny. And now five or six months later, suddenly it's starting to pick up traction. And if you don't have that funding, and if you don't have that backing of the people employing you. That's going to be a struggle. So that's why that's why that fund exists to make sure that you can go off and find those ideas that no one else has even thought of yet. Come back and then in six months you can say, "Oh, I thought of that first. Or this, is, or it can show impact in the wider communities. Okay. Well, if you're planning a podcast that you think could be- benefit from this science funding, visit fund.britishpodcastawards.com. Uh, talking to podcasts, by the way, has anyone heard the new series of Startup? Yes. What do you think? I think it's really good. Um, I've been talking about airing your dirty laundry. <laughs> so this is about Gimlet's uh, um, acquisition per, yeah. by Spotify. Which is last time we were both here, I think. Was just, it? Yeah, just after that. <laughs> yes, it yeah. was. <laughs> well, I, last time I was here anyway. And it tells you all about what was going on behind the scenes, including the founders of Gimlet having a bit of a rough patch. Mm. I think it's really interesting. Um, it seems like Spotify overpaid because um, like they clearly said it, the company was struggling mm-hmm. and they were just getting back on their feet and then Spotify came and with an insane offer. Um, I, yeah, I like that they're airing. I just think it's a good way to just, it's a good ending because it's a final season, season nine. Yeah. I think it's only three episodes, so the last episode will drop on Thursday. Uh-huh. And yeah, it's just a good insight to, it's it's very unique unique to them. Those two guys were the only ones who would ever be able to have those opportunities and to conduct themselves how they are. Because it just wouldn't work if you're a woman, like in you know season one when he's like, I turned up to a presentation, I didn't even prepare. Mm. It's like you can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even Google the guy I was meeting. I was like, that's clearly you can do that. Like a normal person can't. Yeah. But I just think it's an insight into like the pressures of everyone thinks podcasting is easy, and he's like, oh, I'm just going to start a company. And, and actually, not- I mean, importantly, because I think from a British podcasting perspective, people look at the Americans and they think, well, they're getting it right, they're doing incredible things, and it seems justified by the price Spotify paid. But actually, episode one of that new series of Startup is telling us the advertising metrics weren't there even for them. They yeah. had their most popular show and it lost money. Yeah. So I think, yeah, and that was um, clearly being kept secret because everyone was like, you know, everyone needs to copy Gimlet. We need to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on a ship. Clearly yeah. you don't. Yeah. <laughs> um, a radio story now. And uh, BBC Radio 4 has announced Chris Mason as the new host of its Friday night debate programme, Any Questions? Uh, replacing Jonathan Dimbleby, of course, who stepped aside in June after 32 years. Uh, thoughts, Alex? He is very good. He he's, is, isn't he's, he? He's an old colleague and we've done some we did some presenting together and he just knows everything about everything and he spends hours making sure he knows everything that he needs to know. Um, I haven't listened to the Brexit podcast yet, so I need to get and go and binge listen to that. Um, But his knowledge of just the minutiae of those details means that he hopefully will ask the right questions and he'll make sure that he gets the best out of all. He he puts people at ease. And so as long as the panel 
are at ease and they feel like he's on their side or he's he's questioning them in a good way, I think it will strengthen the programme. He'll also sound, even though he's BBC through and through and done a million shows for the BBC by this point, he'll sound weirdly anti-establishment compared to a Dimbleby. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, Jonathan Dimbleby is like the voice of Compa- almost... Compared to a Dimbleby, the Queen is anti-establishment. <laughs> like, that's no, not... but he's, he's very good, I suppose, is what I'm saying, at channelling what someone who's not inside Westminster might be asking, even though he lives and breathes that stuff. Um, I think, yes, I think that's how he's come to be known. But I think... The the wonderful thing is that, that that politics team now at the Beeb is is in, is really particularly strong. It's always been strong, but the the people coming through the ranks at the minute are getting those stories and finding those exclusives and pushing those people at a time when the BBC has to be at its absolute best in Westminster. Renee, final thoughts on this, <laughs> bearing in mind you want to burn the BBC from the inside out. <laughs> I just think um, I'm going to pick up on two things you said. John, Jonathan Dimbleby was there for 32 years. Um, white man, um, have been replaced by another white man in the same well, week. To that be fair, June, I don't think there were any is... black newscasters 32 years ago that would have done that. Job. No, but I mean that this year, in 2019, they replaced him by another white guy who's probably going to be there for another 32 years. And that, the fact that you said he has done loads of BBC shows, so I'm glad that they are still in the same week announcing this con- like diversity um, lead, Gene Serpong, that they are still making sure that the white man gets the good jobs. I think Go we, BBC. Like on that note, Rita Chakrabarti needs to be given more things on the Beeb. I can. She is a wonderful, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant journalist. There's just time for our <laughs> media quiz. I'm going to ask you three questions about the Sky News Brexit Free Channel. This is the pop-up TV channel from Sky News, which is, guess what, Brexit free. So you buzz in with your name when you know the answer. Alex, you'll say. Alex. And Renee, you'll say. Renee. Okay. Let's go. Here's question number one. Between which hours does Sky News Brexit Free transmit? Alex. Alex. 2pm to 5pm. No, damn it. No. Renee. Oh, God. Don't look on your phone. (laughs) (laughs) It didn't go in. I even read the thing, but it just clearly hasn't gone inside my head. The answer is 5 to 10pm, Monday to Friday. Uh, Question number two. How many weeks is the channel's initial run? You can guess. Alex. Alex. Six weeks. It's just three initially. Oh. Uh, do you think it could follow the new European and become a thing that was set up as a kind of Brexity joke and actually establish a, a, a viewership? What's the new that... European's viewership? Well, uh, readership. What's what's their readership? I don't there? know. Uh, nor do I. But I mean, they're a, they're a mainstay on newsstands now, and they were set up as a pop up. Uh, then I think actually having a lighter version of the news, the happy news, all that sort of stuff, there is a market for that. Would you watch a non-Brexit news channel? I'm sick of Brexit. Yeah, so you're the audience it's for. Is it right to filter out the most important news story of the day, though? Or shouldn't they be explaining it better in the first place? We'll catch it trending on the social medias. We'll catch it literally everywhere else. Okay, uh, neither of you have a point so far, so it's all to play for with question number three. Which percentage of people told a YouGov survey this summer they were avoiding the news because of Brexit? I have to know this, I know this. Closest one wins the quiz because you're both so bad at this. Renee. Renee. 40%. 40%. Well, at least you went Alex. first. Alex. <laughs> 38%. It was 71%. So, Renee, you win the quiz, <laughs> despite such a transparently piss-poor effort. 
<laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> uh, that is it for today. Thank you to my guests, Renee Richardson and Alex Hudson. If you like what we're up to here on the Media Podcast and you want to help us keep doing it, do consider taking out a voluntary subscription. You can head to themediapodcast.com slash donate and choose an amount to keep us going all year round. You can catch up with our previous episodes and get new ones as soon as they're released by subscribing for free on our website, themediapodcast.com. I've been Ollie Mann, the producer, Rebecca Grisdale-Sherry. The Media Podcast is a PPM production. Until next time, bye-bye. 